The Word of God really is the only source of truth that has absolute credibility. We can trust what it shows us because it perfectly represents the character of God and His perspectives on life. And a victorious Christian life cannot be lived without a continuous supply of what the Bible alone can provide. And I can tell you that I would have never gotten free without the Word of God being a big part of my daily life. When your mind has been saturated in filthy images for years, it's hard to imagine ever being able to have a pure thought life. But the Word of God is powerful. Last week we emphasized our need to seek the Lord, and now we want to help you live that out practically. We're going to look at how scripture restructures a pornographic mindset, why having a healthy relationship with God's word is so important, and then we'll give you some ideas about how saturating your mind in God's word translates into a changed life. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. We're glad you're here. Most of you have probably heard of our YouTube series, 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction. If you haven't, in that series, Pastor Steve Gallagher gives us, you guessed it, 20 truths that helped him find freedom from sexual sin. In one of those videos, he explained how Scripture has the ability to go into the human mind and create purity where there was filth and peace where there was chaos. We'd like to play the audio from that teaching to get things started today. Truth number 14, Scripture will restructure a pornographic mindset. It calls itself the word of truth, the word of life, the word of the kingdom, and the sword of the spirit. C.H. Spurgeon said, The Bible is the treasury of heavenly knowledge, the cyclopedia of divine science. And A.W. Tozer said, The Bible was written in tears, and to tears it will yield its best treasures. God has nothing to say to the frivolous man. And R.A. Torrey said, The word of God is the seed out of which the divine nature springs up in the human soul. The Word of God really is the only source of truth that has absolute credibility. We can trust what it shows us because it perfectly represents the character of God and His perspectives on life. And a victorious Christian life cannot be lived without a continuous supply of what the Bible alone can provide. For instance, we're spiritually cold So we're told that the word is like fire. We're hard-hearted. So we're told that the word is like a hammer. We're needy like newborn babies. So we're told that the word is like a mother's milk. I cannot stress enough how great our need is for a regular infusion of it into our lives. But our focus on these 20 talks is how I overcame my addiction to pornography and sexual sin. 
And I can tell you that I would have never gotten free without the Word of God being a big part of my daily life. As I've touched on before, the Bible has a lot to say about its value to people. But for this segment, I want to zero in on one obscure verse found in Psalm 19. In verse 7, David said, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Let's start by just looking at the first phrase in that verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The word the NAS translates as restoring is the Hebrew word shub. As I said in a past talk, this Hebrew word for repentance literally means to turn, and it's usually used in the sense of turning away from sin or returning to the Lord. So the word restore really is a good translation. David was saying that the law of the Lord, which for believers during his time simply meant the word of God, has the inherent power to rebuild a soul that has been marred, ruined, and devastated by sin. When I think of the word restoration, I can't help but think of fixer-uppers. I've had a hand in fixing up a number of worn-out houses in my day. When I've done that, I would tear out old cabinets, toilets, vanities, appliances, flooring, siding, sometimes even doors and windows. Then I'd start replacing those items one by one. You could look at that house when I was done and still be able to recognize the character of it, and yet at the same time it would look brand new. That's such a picture of how the Holy Spirit works in a person's soul. We really are pretty oblivious to the damage that sin has done to our hearts, minds, emotions, and even our wills. It pollutes, stains, and ruins everything it touches. So the Holy Spirit comes in with the Word of God and applies its magical healing powers to areas that have been broken down and ruined. And then things just start changing. You still recognize the person, and yet at the same time, he looks brand new. The writer of Hebrews was presenting the same idea when he said, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God uses it to expose sinful attitudes, to penetrate hardened hearts, and to cut out falsehood. No wonder David said that it is the absolutely perfect tool in the hands of the Lord to restore a damaged soul. All right, let's look at the second phrase in Psalm 19:7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The two important terms here are testimony and simple. The testimony of the Lord does an important and vital work inside those the Bible calls simple. The Hebrew word David used here is pathi. The root word it's derived from means wide open. Let me explain the word this way. Back in the early 80s, I was a married man, but in my heart, I was wide open to whatever possibilities might come about with other women. And my wife could sense that openness, and it was a source of tremendous pain to her. There was something in the way I looked at other women or something in my countenance when I was around them that communicated the sense of being open to having an affair. 
The NAS translation of this word as being simple isn't wrong, it just doesn't convey the whole meaning of the word. You could just say that this man is considered spiritually simple because he's so open to the persuasions of sin. What hope does someone like that have? Well, according to David, the testimonies of the Lord play an important role in changing the way a struggling man thinks. Well, what is a testimony? When someone shares his testimony, we understand that he's telling the story of his life. As you listen to his story, you get to know his character. And that's what happens when you spend time in Scripture. You get to know who God is. Every part of the Bible expresses the character of the Lord in one form or another. But there are also occasions when even the Lord talks about himself. For instance, in Exodus 34, when God passed by Moses as he was hidden in the cleft of the rock, the Lord said, Jehovah, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity on fathers, on the children, and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That's a perfect example of the Lord sharing his testimony. He's offering a very clear statement about the kind of person he is and what people can expect from him. So let's get back to Psalm 19. David is saying that when a person who's been open to the enticements of sin spends time sincerely considering the Lord's testimonies about himself, he's gonna be deeply impacted. It really is all about coming to know God in a very real and personal way. And the love for God that comes forth from that intimate knowledge is what destroys the love of sin. Listen, I don't claim to understand all that's involved with how the Word of God sets a person free from sexual addiction. All I know is that it played a huge role in my deliverance from sin and the transformation of my life. I hope and pray that this little talk will inspire a new hunger for the Word of God in your heart. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you've heard us stress over and over the importance of having a daily time in the Word of God. And there are a number of reasons for this. First, because God's Word shows us reality. Think of it this way. Every human being lives in two different worlds. One is seen, one is unseen. The world we see, this world, is temporal. The world we do not see is eternal. One day, everything we see is going to pass away and we are going to enter the realm of the unseen. And the life that we experience there is going to depend completely upon how we live now in this world that we see. The problem is the truth of the unseen world cannot be discovered with our natural senses, and it can't be observed. So how can we ever know how to live here in such a way that will bring us good things there? But see, this is what the Bible does. The Bible is like a window into the unseen realm. Through that window, you can see where sin leads so that you don't just stumble blindly through this life. 
Through that window, you see what matters in the unseen realm, things like humility, self-sacrifice, faith, and living the mercy life. Through that window, you can see the unseen God working in this world. You can see his character and his heart and his will. So the Bible reveals to us what we could never see without it. Secondly, the Bible is showing us the pathway into life, not just in the sense of ending up in heaven, but in the sense of showing us how to have a deep union with God. You see, God is himself the source of life. It's not that he gives life. It's that he is life. And when he gives us himself, we get that life. So the word of God isn't just showing us how to make it successfully into that unseen realm. It's also showing us how to have a deep and intimate fellowship with God. Jesus said that he's the vine and that it's through abiding in him that we will have life and bear fruit. From the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, the word of God is telling us that what God wants is fellowship with his creatures, and he's showing us how to do it. And thirdly, the Bible reveals to us that this pathway into union with God is the path of repentance, faith, and loving obedience to God's will. So, in today's American church culture, it seems like the general idea is that if I, quote-unquote, believe in God, then I am in fellowship with him and everything's okay. But that isn't what God's word teaches. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, and I'm paraphrasing. There will be multitudes of people on judgment day who say, Lord, wait a minute, we did a lot of things in your name. We preached, we cast out demons. And then I will say to them, leave me, I never knew you. And then Jesus explains why he will have to say that to them. Because they were lawless. They didn't do his will, despite the fact that they believed in him and preached and cast out demons. And if that's true, how important it must be for us to really know his will. Well, praise God, the Bible reveals to us the will of God and how to do his will. These are the reasons that we stress to our students the absolute importance of knowing the word of God for themselves, because it shows us reality, because it shows us the pathway into life, and because it reveals to us the pathway of repentance, faith, and loving obedience to the will of God. One of the things that we wanted to do in this show was give you some ideas of how having your mind saturated in Scripture actually produces a change in your life. So we've got a couple scenarios for you. First up, we imagined a situation where someone's personal Bible time brought a conviction of sin and showed him an area of his life that required repentance. Four months ago, Our pastor gave a message about the power of God's word. He talked about the time that Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And my pastor said, People come to me a lot and complain that they're not living in freedom. 
He said he asks them, how much time do you spend in God's word? If they tell me, well, not very much, then he said he responds, look, Jesus said his word would make us free. If you don't spend any time in it, look, are you really surprised that you ain't living in freedom? But look, you know, when he said that, I, I had to think about my own life. Even though recently I, I truly repented of my sexual sin and I got right with God, I realized that I've got a long way to go. And, you know, besides that, I've, I've got other things that I really want to be free from. And I found out that if I just take the Bible at face value, I guess I need to get into the Word daily. So, I committed to studying the Bible 30 minutes every day to start off with. It felt like a lot, but God had given me a promise. And not only that, I was really starting to love God. And I wanted to spend time with Him. So, that meant getting up early. I mean, real early. But I was committed So every morning, I'd splash some cold water on my face, grabbed a huge cup of coffee, would sit down at my table in the kitchen and really fought the herbs to fall asleep again. Recently, I started studying Ephesians. And, you know, this morning, I'm starting chapter 4. And man, it's the book is pretty amazing. (laughs) Paul spends three chapters talking about heavenly realities and all things being united in Christ, and how we can be filled with the abundant power of God. Like, wow, what? (laughs) But look, then all of a sudden, he switches gears and starts talking about being humble, patient, bearing one another in love. (laughs) Man, I'm feeling a little convicted. So I think to myself, man, the first three chapters felt so good. I was loving it when I got to thank God for saving me by grace through faith and to pray that God would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and enlighten my heart to the hope that he's called me to. Man, that's a blessing. But now I'm sitting here. And there's this quiet nudging going on in my heart. And I'm reading these words, patience, gentleness, bearing with one another. Man, that's painful because I know how unlike this I am. It's the word humility that stands out the most. So, you know, I do a quick word study that lands me on Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's exactly what Ephesians was talking about. So I'm meditating on this verse and I look at Jesus's mindset. Man, at this point, my conscience speaks a little louder and I'm feeling way more uncomfortable. Jesus was humble. He counted others more significant than himself. And I'm reflecting on that and I'm struck with some really hard truth. I've been acting in a lot of selfish ambition recently. I suddenly remember a situation at work, you know, where I was pushing hard to make sure the team went with my idea. And just the other day, I pressured everyone to go to lunch at my favorite restaurant. And there's that lingering desire that I've been seeing for quite a while. 
but haven't wanted to deal with. I often make myself the center of attention because I want everyone to pay attention to me. I even sometimes flatter people so that they'll compliment me back. At this point, I'm just hanging my head in shame. Then I start reading some commentaries, you know, just to help me get better insight into what the word is saying. And I'm struck by Albert Barnes' comment on Paul's statement about esteeming others better than ourselves. Barnes says, This is one of the effects produced by true humility. We are sensible to our own defects, but we have not the same clear view of the defects of others. We see our own hearts. We are conscious of the great corruption there, of the evil thoughts and corrupt desires in our own souls. But we do not have the same view of the errors, defects, and follies of others. Ah, man, come on. It's just getting worse. At first, I thought, you know, I was doing pretty good because I was more aware of my shortcomings. But now I realize how much throughout the day I'm being critical of the defects of other people. (laughs) After seeing all of this, I'm convinced that I just need to repent. I set my Bible aside and I start confessing my sin to the Lord. I acknowledge that I need help and I ask the Holy Spirit specifically to help me esteem others as more important than myself. I ask him to help me stop trying to get my own way all the time and to make other people the center of my conversations instead of myself. I tell him that I surrender to his will, that I'll live differently with his help and ask him to remind me when I get off track during the rest of the day. Look, as painful as this was, I'm super grateful. I know that if I hadn't taken the time to be in his word, I would still be so blind to myself and my sin. I'd keep being unkind, unloving, and just keep seeking my own way. Man, I'd hurt others and I would hurt God. But it's a, a real comfort in my life to see that God's word really is true. Man, if I abide in his word, then I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. I know, you know, it's going to take some time to get all this selfish ambition out of me, but God has promised me freedom, and I'm going to cling to that hope. Next, and this scenario actually happened, Patrick Hudson heard something recently that, in the past, would have thrown him for a loop. But this time around, there was a different outcome. I'll let him tell you all about it. The other morning as I was getting ready for work, I stumbled upon a podcast where a therapist was giving advice to atheist parents. She was saying that even if they don't believe in God personally, they should still take their kids to church. She was explaining that studies are showing that taking kids to a religious service, and she was saying it doesn't matter what the religion was, at least once a week can alleviate depression and anxiety. And she was saying that it'll help develop healthy moral behavior such as gratitude and being nice to others. And she made sure to say it doesn't matter if atheist parents actually believe. 
She said that often we only tell our kids half-truths anyway, and she compared to believing in God and going to church as having an imaginary friend that can help you cope with the things in life that are too hard to understand. So as I was getting ready and reflecting on her words, I was thinking to myself, you know, it sounds like this woman is describing kids who are going to grow up and end up coming to the Pure Life Residential Program. I mean, so many guys that come to us grew up in church. They learned all about the good morals of Christianity, and they enjoyed the comfort of believing in a loving God. Um, but all it did for them— and I know I was one of them. All it did was teach us to follow good outward rules, but it didn't stop us from hurting others, from squandering our money, from cheating on our spouses, and destroying our families. But even after saying all that, I just, I knew that as I was listening to her, that there was something else going on inside me. And as I was thinking about it, just putting it bluntly, that kind of worldly wisdom she was giving was putting off a seductive feeling that was almost as alluring to me as sexual lust. There was just something about the calm, sophisticated, um, intellectual presentation she was giving and all the research and cultural observation she had, it just appealed to my sinful flesh. So... I was thinking about why I don't believe her. And I have to say, it's because of my relationship with the Word of God. Since coming to Pure Life, I've been saturated in God's Word. I listen to sermons and teachings, and I'm reading Christian books and going to Bible studies. But even all that, as great as it is, is just like a dessert at the end of a meal. And to me, that meal is my quiet time, my time in the Word every morning. To me, it's that time in the Word every morning more than anything else that's helping to prepare me for the daily onslaught of temptation, of lust, and of worry, and worldly wisdom. Actually, when I was reflecting on her talk, I remembered what I'd been studying that morning in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And as part of my time in the Word, I was reading a commentary by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was explaining how the world's good and moral people are no less in the flesh than people who are falling into drunkenness. They have no more of the Spirit than an outright sinner. And that got me thinking about how Jesus was saying in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. And when I was reading that chapter, he keeps saying things like that. You appear outwardly beautiful, but you're filled with dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. As all this was coming to mind, it was like the Spirit was challenging me through God's Word, saying, Who are you going to believe, Patrick? My Word or your own thinking? You see, if you look at it in one sense, this woman's argument isn't entirely wrong. The kids might be better off for growing up and attending church. But the Word is telling me that in God's eyes, that outward goodness of a person doesn't mean anything compared to the truth of the inner life. 
So I'm left with making the decision, what am I going to do? I can go with what seems right to my feelings and my thinking and my flesh, or I can trust the word of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty five comes to mind. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The context of the verse is talking about man seeing Christ's crucifixion as foolishness. And I feel like that's the same challenge for me in that moment. Am I going to crucify my own thinking and trust the wisdom of God, even though it feels foolish to my flesh? And then Romans 1, 21 and 22 came to mind. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Trusting in my own thinking is going to lead me to do whatever's right in my own eyes. And that's exactly what brought me to the Pure Life Residential Program. And Satan knows this, and he knows that if he can get me to go back to that, then he can bring me to the end of the path that Romans 1 is talking about, where I'm filled with all unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, and so on. And it's like even knowing all these consequences, I know that without God's word as my defense in times like this, my mind is going to fall victim to the enemy's lies. But with God's light for my path, with his sword at my side, I have sure victory, and I can see God strengthening my faith through every trial and temptation. We're going to finish today's show with Robin's testimony. Robin was a guy like many of you. He grew up in church, he knew a lot about Jesus, but his life was a mess. I want to share his testimony now because God did a mighty work in his life while he was in our residential program. And you'll notice a couple elements in his story that we've been focusing on. Time in God's word and intercession for other people. Growing up in a godly home, I made a profession of faith early in life. Yet even before this sin had already gripped me, I was first exposed to pornography around the age of five. I vividly remember the feeling of excitement, fear, and a knowledge that it was wrong, but never told anyone. My sin grew worse over the years with sexual fantasy, internet pornography, and by the time I went away to college, I was giving over constantly. When I first started dating my wife, I knew she was the woman I wanted to marry. We started out in sexual sin, but the Lord convinced her to put an end to it. I was under no real conviction. During the next three years, I delved even deeper into my sin, I hid my sin from her as much as possible and became a liar and manipulator, hoping that marriage would eventually solve my problems. During the first two years of marriage, my wife confronted me over and over about my pornography. I made half-hearted attempts to change, but never did. My lust grew out of control, and after catching me in more lies, she had finally had enough and was at her breaking point. But God had mercy. My wife called our mentors and pastor and laid it all out. Their disappointment and sharp rebuke to me, calling out my wickedness, finally made a crack in my heart of stone. Not knowing what else to do, I asked for help. That is when Pastor Petri sent me a link to Pure Life Ministries. The first thing I did was watch the 20th Truth series. That was the first time that the reality came to me that I was going to hell. That day, I called every number I could find until Brooks picked up, listened to my story, and told me that I could not trust my deceiving heart. I needed to come to the residential program. I arrived at PLM on November 2nd, not really knowing what to expect. 
Over these nine months, God has shown me my self-protective pride and fear of man where which I lie and put on a mask, prevent others from knowing the true me and seeing my failures and faults. He has shown me my self-love, love of pleasure, comfort, and my idolatry, all of which feeds my lust. Most of all, the Lord showed me how wicked and selfish my heart was, which made it impossible to love Jesus or to love others. In my mess, the Lord was faithful to meet me. With the help of my counselor, I developed intimate, quiet times in the morning with the Lord. One day after recovering from COVID and not being able to read my Bible for two days, I opened to the passage of Jesus talking to the woman caught in adultery. I started to weep when Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Go now and leave your life of sin. This was Jesus speaking to me personally. The Lord used confronting counseling sessions with Gabriel to show me who I was and learn how to come into the light, seek counsel, tear down my self-life and comforts, and cry out to Jesus on the condition of my heart. Through the mercy prayer and reading through scripture, God used intercessory prayer in my life to change my heart of stone into a heart of flesh, actually having compassion for others and caring for their needs sacrificially. Pastor Steve's sermon on Psalm 119 taught me how to use God's word as a prayer to cry out for myself and for others. And he used the book Absolute Surrender to teach me how to surrender my own strength, my own thinking, my life, and rely on the Holy Spirit. I would like to thank my Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your patience and kindness to me and setting me free from my sins by filling me with your wonderful love. You have broken the power of sin and death in my life and have set my heart free. I want to conclude this episode with an encouragement for you to simply go and do likewise. Go and hunger for God's word like you'd hunger for food. Spend time every day reading it, studying it, meditating on it, and most importantly, living it out. Remember, the Apostle James told us that if we only hear the word but don't do it, we're just deceiving ourselves. It's the hearers and doers who will be blessed. So if you haven't already established a regular time in God's Word each day, I'd recommend this. Develop a schedule where every day you are going to spend 30 minutes in the Word. Make it immovable. And then have a friend or a mentor hold you accountable. After you've developed the habit, then you can decide if you'd like to increase that amount of time. And you're going to find that God's word begins to satisfy your soul and guards you from the desire to sin. It's like God's chosen weapon for you, a sword to defeat every lie and temptation that the enemy puts in your path. Now, I'd love to be able to give you the benefits of studying God's word by just talking to you, but it's not going to happen that way. You are going to have to fight for it. It is so worth it. That's all for this week. In our next episode, we'll look at surrendering to God's will and the part that it plays in a victorious life. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.